If you were here last Sunday morning when I was doing the children's talk, you would have heard me referring to two advent calendars, one which was full of chocolate, uh, which I enjoyed, and uh, another one which was full of stars, which I enjoyed even more. And my daughter Hannah had made me an advent calendar this year, and uh, there was a star for every day of the advent, I can say of the month of advent, and written on the stars were some of the names and descriptions of Jesus. And on the back of the star, there are a number of Bible references, some from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament, going into Revelation. And it was wonderful to think about the names of Jesus through the month of December. And uh, really, I want to carry on with that theme this morning, because uh, in our reading uh, here, uh, we had another description of Jesus. On the Advent calendar, there were things like the light of the world, and the Son of the Highest, the Lamb of God, and the Bread of Life, the King of Kings, and the, the Lion of Judah, and uh, tremendous names and descriptions which many of us are familiar with and enjoy uh, all that's associated with them. But here in this uh, short passage which Brian read for us, we have another description of Jesus, and it's probably one that we don't think about that much. And we find the people saying to him, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter? And I want to think about this carpenter this morning. Now, when it uses the description carpenter, don't just think of somebody standing at a bench doing some woodwork. Uh, That certainly would have been done. But I think it was probably more than that, more of a uh, maybe doing a lot of woodwork, but maybe building type work as well. But that was the trade that Jesus had. He was the son of a carpenter, so natural that he should become a carpenter too. And uh, this phrase in this verse, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? It looks like a question, but I think it was probably a rhetorical one. In other words, it was a statement rather than a question. And I've got two points which are there on the sheets for you this morning, uh, which I want us to think about. Firstly, the reaction to this carpenter... But then, secondly, the work of this carpenter. Uh, The reaction to the carpenter, and that comes from the context uh, here in Mark chapter 6, but then the work of the carpenter, I want to go elsewhere in the scriptures from other things that we know from the word of God to think about that. There's There's something good about returning home and going back to our roots. I see there's one or two people here this morning who have returned home, as it were, come back to their roots, and it's good to have you here with us. There'll be others who have had family here with you, or others who maybe have gone off to see family and uh, now returned. I'm sure there'll be some of you here who are missing your families because they're away in another country. But here in this first verse of Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus returning to his hometown. And he doesn't go on his own, he takes his followers, his disciples, with him. So he comes back to Nazareth, the place where he'd grown up, the place where people knew him. Later on in the chapter, we find Jesus sending these disciples who are with him out. Uh, He goes out into the villages and he sends them out too, uh, to go out uh, and to, to speak to the people there. But before he does that, 
It seems that he comes to his hometown and he needs to teach them a lesson. And we see that a lesson is taught, as it were, and this lesson is to do with rejection. Jesus faced it. If you know anything of Jesus in the Gospels, he faced rejection. The disciples needed to be ready for it because they were going to go out with this message into the villages and people would reject them. The first readers of Mark's Gospel would have needed this message as well. They would have experienced what it is to be rejected, having this this vibrant faith which comes from Christ, but then going out with this message and finding that people don't want it and don't want them. And at the end of this year, and at the beginning of another year, we will face the same too. And it seems to me that the lesson is this, that rejection and unbelief is the context in which the gospel advances. Rejection and unbelief is the context in which the gospel advances. It's true in our day-to-day, as it has been over the last 2,000 years. And it's true in our land too, as it is in any other nations across the world. So let's think about this carpenter. Firstly, the reaction to him. The reaction to him. It tells us that when the Sabbath came, in verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They were amazed. Jesus arrives with his disciples and on the Sabbath goes off to the synagogue, the place where people met together to worship and he teaches. And the people listened to him and they were amazed, asking these questions. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? He even does miracles. You see, Jesus was this local boy. He was the the son of a carpenter. And the carpenter himself. Not, Not the son of some soldier or great ruler, but just the son of a carpenter. There's no special education or training that he had. He grew up amongst these ordinary people of Nazareth. No special privileges that he had. There was nothing about him or or his family suggested that he was anything but ordinary. But yet we read that the many who heard him were amazed at him. They were amazed, but they weren't necessarily impressed by what they heard, because if we read on a few verses in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, it says they took offence at him. They were offended by him. Look at what it says, verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. They didn't like what they were seeing and what they were hearing. Isn't this the carpenter? And I don't think it's an inquiring question. It's more of a a derogatory statement. As if it were, they're saying, we know who you are. You're the carpenter's son. You're just a carpenter. Isn't this the son of Mary? Isn't this Mary's son, they say? 
They don't even say, is this the son of Joseph? And perhaps it was more derogatory to say, isn't he the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here too? And it seems that they were offended by him. And that shouldn't surprise us, because as we read through the Gospels we see that, but that's what it says in the Old Testament as well, in Isaiah 53, that he was despised and rejected by men. They were amazed by him, yes, but they were offended by him too. And then we see that they were resistant to him. It goes on and it says in verse 5 and 6 that he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. The problem wasn't with Jesus, but with the people. The problem wasn't that Jesus had no power, but the people had no faith. Verse 6 says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. So here in verse 2, you have the the people being amazed. And here in verse 6, we have Jesus being amazed. And only twice in the New Testament do we read of Jesus being amazed. On one occasion, well, on both occasions, it was to do with faith. The other occasion is in Luke chapter 7 when uh, a centurion in Capernaum with a servant who was sick uh, and he sends for Jesus, believing that Jesus can do something for this sick, um, sick servant. And Jesus does and is healed. And it says in Luke chapter 7, you can read it there, that on that occasion that Jesus was amazed by his faith, amazed by the man's faith. So on that occasion, amazed by the faith that this centurion had, but here on this occasion, amazed by the lack of faith that people have. On one occasion, it was the presence of faith, but on the other occasion, it is the absence of faith. This town that Jesus grew up in had privileges that others didn't because Jesus had grown up there. They had access to him. They had insights into him. They had opportunities there. And when you'd expect them to welcome him because he was the local boy, we find that they resisted him. Resisting Jesus. Resisting this carpenter. And it leads Jesus to make this statement in verse 4 that only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honour. But it wasn't just his hometown that rejected him. In the same way that this town of Nazareth resisted and rejected him, so did the people of Israel. You see, the Jewish people, this nation where Jesus grew up, they were waiting for a Messiah. They knew their Old Testament scriptures, uh, the promise of a Messiah, that that someone would come, that someone would deliver them, that someone would rescue them. But when Jesus comes, they don't want him. They resist him. And time and time again through the, through the Gospels, it says that, that they did not listen to him. It says that they, they would not listen to him. They refused to listen to him. They resisted him. 
they rejected him. And eventually, they crucified him. And it wasn't just Nazareth, and it's not just Israel. It's everyone. It's all of us. And as we read in the beginning of John, uh, that prologue to John's Gospel, which Joseph spoke on the other week, we read these words, that though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. And that's the world that Jesus came to him. They did not recognize him. They resisted him. And the world that Jesus grew up in is the same world that we live in today. And as we come to the end of this year, as we go into a new year, when we try and talk about Jesus to people, it becomes obvious that people don't want him. They're offended by the very mention of Jesus. They resist him. They reject him. They deny him. Rejection and unbelief, it's the context in which the gospel advances and it's the context in which we live today. And it's been true of the world since then and until now. That the gospel, this good news of Jesus, has gone across the world but in a context of rejection and unbelief. Some of you are here from countries where that's been very much the case. For us here in Britain it hasn't been so much the case but it's becoming more the case as times goes on. Though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. But that passage in John's Gospel goes on and it follows with good news because it tells us, yet to all those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You see, this carpenter, who they resisted and rejected, he is not just a carpenter. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And we've enjoyed Christmas recently, thinking about the birth of Jesus into this world, but we must never never separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus because how is it that he deals with our sin it's through his death and as I've been thinking about this carpenter it seems quite ironic doesn't it that he should be put to death on a cross a wooden cross which would have been made by the hands of a carpenter and it seems ironic that He should be nailed to a cross with a hammer and nails, which are the tools of a carpenter. But yet, as we look at it, it looks like it's people that are doing it to him. But the Bible tells us that it is God doing it. It's the Father who has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. So God is doing it, but at the same time, Jesus is that willing sacrifice. He says, I lay down my life on my own accord. A sacrifice for our sin. An acceptable offering to God. Offering forgiveness for those who repent and turn from sin and trust in Christ. 
And if you, like me, are one of those this morning who have acknowledged your sin, who have repented of it, who have put your trust in Christ, if you've received him, if you believe in his name, you are a child of God. To all those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a tremendous privilege privilege that is, that we should be called the children of God. That we can call him our father. And surely that gives us everything we need for a coming year ahead. To know that we are children of God. To know that in a world that rejects him and doesn't believe him and doesn't want him and resists him that we are children of God and that means that we have everything that we need. So let's go on and think about the work of this carpenter. What does this carpenter do? And um, I want us to think about the work that he has done, the work that he is doing and the work that he will do. And we're not going to see it in this passage here that we've looked at, but we're going to see it from elsewhere in some of the things that the Bible tells us. And as we go through these things, I want us to be encouraged that this carpenter, this despised and rejected carpenter, I want us to be encouraged at the work that he has done. And the first one is this. He has made all things. He has made all things. We're led to believe that in the beginning was science. That's what we hear all the time, isn't it? But the Bible tells us that it's not science that created the world, but God who has created the world and everything in it. The beginning of our service, we read Psalm 14. It tells us that the fool, uh, the person who says there is no God, is a fool. That's God's description of those who deny him. Fifty years ago this year on Monday, the 24th of January 1968, uh, I was an eight-year-old and following the Apollo uh, missions to the moon. I don't know if you, like me, were thrilled by those things. But Apollo 8 uh, went uh, to the moon, uh, 24th of December. On the 24th of December, travelled round the back of the other side of the moon, the side that nobody has ever seen. And uh, they were told that as they came back from around the back of the moon, that they were to say something appropriate. And uh, go and have a look on uh, uh, the internet, look for Earthrise, and you'll see the picture that they saw as they came round the back of the moon. They'd gone to look at the moon, and they suddenly came round the back of it, and then they saw the Earth, and uh, were awestruck, as it were, as they saw the Earth rising. But when asked to read something appropriate, they read, and there were three of them in there, and they each read a part, they read from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. John 1 tells us that this carpenter is the one who is God, the one who has made all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Before he came to this world, he built the universe. Isn't that amazing? He built the universe. He made 
all things. Beginning at Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is his world. This is his creation. He made all things. He sustains all things. Take encouragement from that, that this carpenter is the one who made all things. And then secondly, he is building his church. The one who built the universe is now building his church. The universe was made in the past, but the church is being built in the present. And the church isn't some man-made organisation that we all sign up to, but it's built of those who have repented of their sin and turned from their sin and have trusted in Christ. This carpenter is building his church across the world and across the ages. And although things look dark around us, he's still doing it. And he's still doing it today. He says in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Satan, the enemy of God, is defeated. And Jesus is building building his church. In uh, 1 Peter, Peter describes as being like living stones being built into a spiritual house. And those who trust in Christ are part of what he is building. He's made all things. He's building his church. But not only that, he repairs broken lives or is, is building lives too. There is an enemy of God, Satan. Satan is the one who destroys. Sin destroys. But Jesus is the one who builds and repairs. And he wants to build my life. And he wants to build your life. And he will if you trust in him and allow him to. Again, Peter writes this, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Do you feel life's a bit of a struggle? Be encouraged that this carpenter is the one who repairs broken lives. The one who helps his people. The one who makes us, the one who restores us. The one who makes us strong and firm, and steadfast. And at the end of this year, and the beginning of new year, we can be strong, we can be firm, we can be fast. Not because of us, but because of this carpenter who repairs broken lives. He's made all things, he's building his church, he repairs broken lives, and he's preparing a home as well. John chapter 14, he speaks of going to prepare a place we're trusting in Christ, if we're one of his children, if God is our father, then this world is not our home. The best is yet to come. Jesus is preparing that place. One of the wonderful things about knowing Jesus as saviour is knowing exactly where you're going. And we don't know when, And we don't know how, but Jesus assures us that he's doing it. That he's preparing that place. The one who built the heavens is building his church. The one who 
who's building his church, is preparing a place, preparing a home for those who trust in him. And then one more thing to do with building that this carpenter does. We know that he will make all things new. He will make all things new. Let me, as we finish, read to you some verses from Revelation chapter 21 where it speaks of him making all things new. Revelation 21 and uh, Revelation, a book written for those who are facing difficult times and living in this, this broken world and resisted by others. And John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven. John chap- uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For this first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live them with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He will make all things new. And then he said, write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy words. True words. Isn't this the carpenter? They meant it as a derogatory statement. Isn't this just the carpenter? but is the one who's made all things. He's building his church. He's preparing a home and one day will make all things new. So we come to a new year. Let's consider what he has done. Consider what he is doing and consider what he will do for those who trust in Christ.